Thank you, Jeremy. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, and then uh, we're going to look at verses 34 and 35. And as I'm turning to the passage, I just want to say hello to my wife, Connie. Uh, She is in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, caring for our grandsons. And uh, sweetheart, I miss you, and I'm glad that uh, you can join us for worship. Also think that... um, my sister Robin and my brother and, and uh, sister-in-law are watching from Tennessee and from Florida. So we know we have many folks that are gathering in from across the nation. Uh, I think somebody from Cambodia also was tuned in uh, just a little while ago that knows Connie and me. So it's pretty amazing how we can use technology to stay connected in spite of uh, being the church scattered during this time. Listen now to the word of God from John chapter 13. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And then continuing in that same chapter, uh, after this uh, foretelling of his betrayal by Judas Iscariot, Jesus says in verse 34, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. I would invite you now to just take your hands and extend them in front of you, uh, kind of cup them before God, and let's uh, say a prayer together. Lord, we do pray that you would use these hands for your glory, for your purposes, in, in deepest humility and service to others. Lord, give us hands of a servant. May our hands be like the hands of Jesus that are willing to um, be emptied of pride and of selfishness and of anger and frustration and, and anxiety. Take these hands of ours, Lord, and use them in deepest humility uh, to wash the feet of others, whatever that may mean for us today, Lord, to use them in humble service to others. Come, Holy Spirit, come now and speak to us in these next moments. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think I've shared this with you uh, at least once previously, but, um, but it, it bears repeating uh, for those that, that don't recall uh, me talking about this many years ago, but back in uh, 1980, years ago when I began my preparations for ministry, I enrolled in Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina, and every student without exception was required to give two hours a week to Christian service, which was um, some kind of ministry in the community for the most part, or in your local church, as well as two hours a week in college service. Now, the college service was um, to help keep the college running smoothly. And there were some that worked in the library. Um, I think my third year, my senior year in Bible college, I helped a professor by grading papers. But when I first started out at CBC, I had the worst assignment of all. I was given the responsibility of cleaning the restrooms in the large auditorium where the entire student body gathered for worship five days a week. Uh, the auditorium back in that day was, I think, at least 25, 30 years old. They still use it today for worship and for gatherings as a college, even though they've done a lot of upgrades. But I will tell you this. When I was there 10 years ago, which was many years beyond when I graduated from the school, the janitor's closet had not changed. It looked exactly the same when I was reporting on Thursdays to do my two-hour stint of cleaning those rest restrooms. But what made this particularly distasteful for me was that my supervisor was another student from the graduate program. And I'm not going to tell you his last name. He actually, Jeremy, is working with uh, N.T. Wright now. And his name is Dave. And Dave took his job much too seriously, in my opinion. He was just a couple of years older than I was at the time, I think. But he was usually waiting for me. And I dare not be a minute late for my responsibilities. Uh, Dave was a details man. Uh, so every step of the cleaning process had been typed up 
by Dave, uh, had been put inside of a, a sleeve, uh, a clear sleeve, and had been uh, pinned on the uh, door facing in the janitor's closet for me to check off with a little marker every single week. And um, man, he, he, for weeks on end, he followed me around to make sure that everything I, I did was done correctly. In fact, at times he would interrupt me and point out that I had missed a spot of dirt on the floor. Uh, one particular Thursday, he actually showed up with a pair of white gloves on. <laughs> and he, he went into the corner of the restroom and wiped out a little bit of dirt that I had missed. Well, for eight long months, I endured his scrutiny. But it taught me an important lesson. Because posted on the wall in that janitor's closet was a yellowed sign that somebody had obviously had printed up many years before that had the text of Colossians 3.17 on it. And it said this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Now, I am confident that, that the Apostle Paul didn't have toilet bowls in mind when he wrote those words. But the attitude he was talking about is just what we need to understand and honestly can't be told about too often in today's world. It is so countercultural to where people live today to how, how our nation, how our government, how uh, organizations usually function. Uh, even when life is difficult and distasteful, the scripture makes it clear that life is not about me. It's not about you. And even in a pandemic, when, when uh, life has been turned upside down, it's always about doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus because He is Lord. He is the living Lord. He is the Lord of my life and presumably the Lord of your life as well. Uh, there are many, many days during this pandemic I have opened my eyes and it's like, well, we're still there. <laughs> uh, we're, we're still on lockdown uh, the world is still turned on its head, but thank God I'm alive. And today I want to do more than survive. I want to thrive. I want to make a difference as best I can, even under the circumstances. And I want to be an authentic servant of Christ. And just as my life is not about me, Jesus' life was not about him. Uh, every word, every compassionate act of, of healing and deliverance, every single thing that Jesus did and taught was done in the name of the Father. In John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I do nothing without consulting the Father. In, in John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do what I want. After four decades of ministry, I am convinced that the number one hindrance to the church fulfilling its mission 
the number one hindrance to the church doing its work in the world as, as disciples of Jesus, the number one hindrance to a church being united and, and on the same page together as we say today, it's not culture war, wars and it's not even spiritual warfare. Our number one enemy is not the world or the devil. Our number one enemy is ourselves. It's our self-centeredness. It's, it's our selfishness. Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will find it. Matthew 10, 38. Jesus longs to give every single one of us life. But the means for receiving that life do not come in the ways that we would expect. Life begins with death. It begins with death to sin. The scripture is clear. Death to ourselves. The scripture is equally clear. And, and I have found, I'm going to be confessional, that repeatedly it is selfishness and self-centeredness that, that, that don't die easily in me or in other people. The biggest, most challenging battle that I have fought my entire life it's not with others. It's not with the devil or a world that often seems against me. It is with me. I am my own worst enemy. In Mark 10, we see a powerful example of this struggle. Jesus tells his power-grabbing, competitive disciples there who are wanting positions of glory and position and power on his right and his left. He says, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must must be slave of all. Most people with power are seduced by the temptation to abuse that power. That's at least what I see in the world. The irony here is that there has only been one ruler, there has only been one person who has ever been over anything who was completely free of the need to lord it over others. And that is the Lord Jesus himself. He tells his disciples in Mark 10, he says, Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And then he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, verses 44 through 45. And in the final hours of Jesus' life, he, he takes off his garments, his robe. He girds himself with a towel. I mean, just picture this scene. He, he is virtually naked, wrapped in a towel, and he kneels down to scrub the dust in animal dung off the feet of his disciples. I mean, the roads were largely unpaved. Uh, but even the stone streets of Jerusalem were filled with dust and, and dirt and garbage. And again, animal dung. It, you come in at the end of the day, your feet were nasty. 
I had a funeral at Georgetown Cemetery, uh, a graveside service for Rita Sadlin this week. And, and um, it had rained a good bit, and the ground was wet, and there was mud, and, and my shoes were just nasty when I got home. And it took me quite a while to just get all the, the mud and the dirt off of them. That was a routine thing people faced every single day in the first century. When John the Baptist says in John 1.27, I'm not even worthy to be his slave, meaning the slave of Jesus, and untie the straps of his sandal, he may be referring to this practice of washing one's feet at the end of the day. And so the disciples would, would have been somewhat horrified in this moment. No host ever stooped to such a low level by washing the feet of his guest. If the host could afford it, they had a slave or a servant that would do this, or you just did it for yourself. There's the basin, there's the water. Wash your feet before you come into the house. Jesus says, since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Now, some, let me just say parenthetically, some see this as almost a sacramental rite that ought to be done in the church today. And frankly, I wouldn't have a problem with that. It would be good for us. The one and only time that I've ever um, washed feet... Uh, outside of a church was at Candler School of Theology. I was in the uh, School of Ministry for licensed local pastors, and uh, it was an incredibly humbling experience. The first time I had ever washed someone's feet or had my feet washed. And I thought then, this is something we ought to be doing in the church on a regular basis. But there, there are other ways that we can follow this example, obviously that are just as humiliating, that are just as self-denying, that put us in that role of coming down, humbling ourselves at the feet in humility of someone who has need. Jesus goes on to say, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. How true it is that a servant is not greater than the master. I mean, that nails it, doesn't it? I mean, that, 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 for me at least, removes any idea of self-exemption, that this doesn't apply to me. Because no servant is greater than the master. And if the master was willing to take his clothes off, wrap himself in a towel, and, and assume this position of a slave, of a servant, and wash the feet of the disciples, then how much more should we as leaders in the church, in the body of Christ, be doing similar kinds of things today? Now, I've had some leaders over the years who were deeply humble men and women, whom I admired and respect to this day. And I've had some, <laughs> well, we won't go there. Instead of basking in the glory of his power and authority, Jesus emptied himself and assumed the posture of a slave. Touching feet was a menial job that was reserved for a Gentile slave or the woman of the house. 
Students were responsible to their rabbis to do menial task of labor for them, but touching the feet of a rabbi, washing your teacher's feet, that was not expected. As one commentator observes, but what is startling in this story is the vivid portrayal of the Messiah, of the Messiah of Israel, adopting a shameful, lowly posture in relationship to his own disciples. Paul may have been thinking about this this very encounter when he tells the Philippians in chapter 2, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. I'm certain, absolutely certain, that I don't fully appreciate or understand this this amazing reality. But the New Testament's commandment to serve, to wash one another's feet, to follow the example of Jesus, is derived from the nature of God Himself. This is who our God is, friends. Servanthood is not some passing fad. It's not some optional exercise. It's not a form where we tick a box and say, yeah, I'll volunteer to do that. It is a lifestyle because it is who God is. It is God's nature to sacrifice and to give, to support and provide, to love and to serve. It's so easy to lose sight of this, isn't it? For pastors and parishioners. Um, We are first called to be servants. And I tell you, that one of the very best things you can say to your new pastor when he comes in a few weeks is, is how might I serve you? What can I do to help you? Not, not to, to have expectations of what he is going to do for you, but what can you do for him? And, and how might I serve alongside you? What can we do together as followers of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you a few questions as we close. When was the last time that you stepped up and you volunteered to do something in the church that is really unappealing? That you don't really want to do, but you know you should do because nobody else wants to do it. Are you willing to let others do the grunt work while you enjoy their labors? You know, with this a reopening process beginning on June 7th, there's going to be a lot of stuff we got to do. In between services, we've got to wipe down all the backs of the pews and the sides of the pews um, because that is one of the places that people grab, that they touch when they're in worship. It's amazing how many times we, we stand and we sit that we, we grab onto those pews in order to... to to lower the risk of infection. Uh, God forbid one of us actually was like an asymptomatic carrier of coronavirus. We'll need to wipe things down to keep the church clean. And we're going to need several people to do that. We can't, we can't hire people to do that. We need servants to do that. And there's so many other jobs as well that we'll need help with. Do you show proper appreciation for those who are doing those jobs behind the scene? Uh, when was the last time that you thanked someone 
for doing something like cleaning the restrooms? Do you look for ways to bless your spouse, your family members, co-workers, uh, neighbors, even total strangers through random acts of kindness? And if we polled this community, what would they say about the reputation of our church as a servant community? i got to tell you one quick story. I got a call recently from someone that needed some assistance. They were really desperate. They need food. They need a place to stay overnight. And they called one of the other churches in town. And the person that talked to them on the phone said, Well, we don't do that for folks. I'm sorry. But if you'll call the Methodist, I think they'll help you. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> we put them up in a hotel, gave them food. Uh, we are looking after them. And we do have a reputation, I think, with some in the community as being a giving church. Finally, I want you to just take a look at your hands. What do you see? You know, as I've, I've, as I've watched my hands age, I've noticed that the skin is starting to loosen. It's getting really kind of wrinkled. It looks almost like elephant hide. And I'm getting all these, these unsightly spots on my hands. Um, I mean, my age is showing up. It's showing up on my hands. And even though your hands might be calloused by hard work or twisted by arthritis or, or wrinkled and spotted by age, think about the miracle of your hands. In your two hands, there are 52 bones. 52 bones in your two hands. There are 70 powerful muscles. And there are tens of thousands of nerve endings that are among the most sensitive in the human body. Think of all the things you could not do without your hands. Think of all the good you can accomplish because you have hands. Thank God for your hands and offer them to Jesus. In this moment, do it. Offer them to Jesus as hands of a servant. I ask you, as you go through this week, who will you serve and whose feet will you wash? Lord, we thank you that you have given us another day to live our lives for the glory of God as servants of Jesus. Lord, help us not just to survive during this pandemic. Help us to thrive. Help us to be the men and women that have been called to be disciples of Jesus, but also servants of Jesus. Take our lives and in whatever ways possible, use us to serve those around us, uh, to, to humble ourselves and, and to, to dirty ourselves in ways that uh, communicate what Jesus said to the disciples. <laughs> A new commandment I give you. Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yes, Lord, may our hands be strong servant hands that are motivated and compelled to care for others because of love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.